Lord Jesus, thank you. Our attention needs to be on you. These songs are for you. We love you not as nearly as much as the way you love us. We don't even believe that you love us as much as you very obviously and factually do. You died for us. Even now you live for us and you intercede for us. As I pray in your name, you're praying for me. You're praying for my brothers and sisters. You live to make intercession for those who trust you. And I know people have walked in here with big, heavy burdens. Some will be distracted uh, by memories of the difficult week or the difficult life, Lord, that they've had. I pray that you would give them particularly peace and calm to hear from you. Help me speak clearly, faithfully, lovingly, truthfully. May there be no guilt or shame from my understanding communicated to anybody, only conviction, only truth, only love, only Lord what is true, the truth you know, the truth you are. And help us. Give us your grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My goodness, it was good to hear you sing this morning. I know you weren't singing to me, but I loved, loved, loved hearing you sing and singing with you. Apple finally made something that I really, really like. It's called an AirTag. How many of you have an AirTag? For once, I'm one of the cool kids. How about that? For once, I am ahead of the curve. An AirTag is a tiny little disc with the Apple logo that's worth a kajillion dollars. And you can put that little disc anywhere I put it on my keys, and it is a tracking device that will tell you, if you use your iPhone, it will tell you where the disc is. You go, I don't get it, it sounds kind of creepy. I agree, it sounds immensely creepy, but you don't lose your keys as often as I have in life. So to be able to put this tiny little device on my key ring and know that if I ever wonder where my keys are, I can open my phone, provided, of course, I can find it, <laughs> and tell it to look for my keys, and it will tell me with precision exactly where they are. It will give me directions to them, and should they happen to be, for instance, in the mouth of a coyote in the wetlands, which is the last time I lost my keys, they were out there. <laughs> if you see some keys out there with a little key that looks like an American flag, that's mine. It will even squawk at me. It will even sound an alarm saying, hey, dummy, I'm over here. Come collect me. What a time to be alive. Just before church started, someone who has just moved away texted me from somewhere down the road saying, we're watching the service now. It still feels like we're at home. Hi, guys. My device reported to me this morning that my screen time was down by 18%. I can put these little, that's a pathetic thing to get applause over, but thank you. <laughs> I can buy for about $25, I can buy any number of these discs and put them on any number of my belongings and have literal satellites swing into action along apparently with the mesh of everybody's Apple device everywhere in the world to pinpoint for me exactly where I left my stuff. 
Amazing. If you've grown up with this, understand, those of us who are older are still amazed at how much guidance we get in this world through electronic devices. Yesterday, I got in my car, and it told me how long it would take me to get to Costco. Apparently, I've established a little bit of a routine. <laughs> when I fought my way through Costco, and what a traumatic event it is on Saturday morning, I don't know why I do it on Saturday morning, and I got back in the car, it told me how many minutes it would take me to get home. Everything's tracked, everything's guided. For good or for bad, somebody, somewhere, at least an algorithm knows. And we have come to depend upon this guidance and this connectivity to an absurd degree. You ever get upset when you text somebody and they don't get back to you in five minutes? <laughs> they have a term for that, it's called expectations. <laughs> and y'all need to calm down, okay? People sleep, people eat, people take showers. It's okay. Give them just a second. It's not normal for us to have this much connectivity and this much guidance. Why am I telling you all this? Because one of the greatest gifts that Jesus promised his disciples on his way to the cross in chapter 14, 15, and 16, as he went to the cross in the absence of the traitor who betrayed him, Judas Iscariot, the disciples are scared to death. They don't know how to act. They don't know what to say. They're going to say a few more wrong, misguided things. Before it's all over, Peter is actually going to clumsily attempt to murder a man. And he's not even going to be very tactical in his choices. He's going to try to kill a servant. And all he's going to do is lop off his ear. And if you want to know the protective nature of your Savior... He knew exactly why those men were coming. He knew they would arrest him. He knew they would come with blazing torches and weapons to take him away. And he stepped forward to meet the crowd. He stepped forward to meet killers. His clumsy disciple who would eventually on that same night actually deny ever knowing him would try to commit homicide in a misguided attempt to defend Jesus and Jesus would heal that man, and here's the protective, saving, redemptive life of Christ. Peter is going to take a man's ear off with a knife and walk away. Do you know who gets to walk away from law enforcement if they cut another person's ear off? Nobody. Only Jesus can do these things. Because it's not about the disciples right now. It's about what, who Jesus is and what he came to do. And he has been telling them for some time now, in spite of their denials and protestations, Peter leading the crowd, telling him, you should never die. Jesus has been telling them, I'm on the way to the cross, and now the time has actually come. And in those three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, in John, Jesus is promising them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who Jesus said, has been with you and will now be in you. He made promises regarding the Holy Spirit that Jesus made the audacious claim that his physical absence from the world would actually be an improvement. 
that it would be better for these frightened, obtuse, misguided disciples, it would be better for them in the long run if Jesus actually left. If they didn't see him physically any longer, that would actually be better, according to Jesus, because the Holy Spirit would come and not only be with them, but actually be in them. If you're new to our church, if this is your first or second or third Sunday, we've been in a doctrinal series and through no particular plan of my own, because obviously a guy who loses his keys and needs a GPS tracker can't be amazing at planning. (laughs) We've slowed down when we've come to the Holy Spirit because we've been in a series of doctrine. And a lot of you told me, and thank you for being candid, when you said we were going to do a series on theology or doctrine, I really wasn't into it. I thought it would be boring. And now you've turned into some theologians, I think, because you're asking amazing questions and you're buying books and resources and you're having conversations among yourselves about the greatest thing you could ever know, God himself. So we studied scripture, we studied who God is, we studied who his son Jesus is, and we've been slowing down and talking about the Holy Spirit. I've been showing you over the last couple of weeks that the Holy Spirit first comes to the unbelieving world and shows them their sin of not believing in Jesus. Shows them the righteousness of Jesus and the frailty and the foolishness of holding up their own righteousness instead of taking the righteousness of Jesus and warning them of coming judgment causes people to turn around and trust Jesus and be saved. That's how you came to Christ if you're a Christian. You may not have the language for it. You may not have read those verses. You might not be able to classify it the way a theologian would with all these biblical terms and explain what happened to you just as a baby can explain the gestation process and explain how he came to be in the world. But you're alive. You're born again through the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit on your behalf, giving you new life. That's how you came to Christ, and I've been explaining to you that the first thing the Holy Spirit does for Christians is he makes us belong. He gives us new life. He makes us sons and daughters of God so that, as Paul said, the old things have passed away, and we really are new creations. We're not improved. We're not reformed. We're new. We have new life. We literally have the life of Christ himself. Now, as you're going to see, the war between the new person you are and your old desires, your flesh, your old way of thinking, the trauma, the sin, the foolishness, the nonsense that you've accumulated, the lies you've believed, all the things that you, that characterize your old dead life, that's still with you. Am I right? Did you feel it this week? Did you battle between the person you know yourself to be in Jesus and the person you disappointingly still are the way you still behave? I did. That's why I go to bed early on Saturday night. I don't want any conflicts. I don't want any drama. I just want to go to sleep before I say or do something dumb. I want to be focused. I just go to bed early every night now that I think about it. According to Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit is teaching, that was last week, And this morning, the Holy Spirit helps us behave as God's children by guiding us. Look with me quickly in the Gospel of John, please. The Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit guides us. 
Read with me, please, in John chapter 15. We're listening to Jesus in these final words, these final, uh, these final teachings for his disciples. Listen to his promise. Understand the shadow of the cross is just ahead. This is literally hours before that arrest I was telling you of. John chapter 16, Jesus reassures the disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You like that? Have you had a hard time figuring out what's true? I have. Hardest and most heartbreaking decisions I've had to make as a man and as a pastor particularly are decisions where I'm not sure for a long time what even is actually true. Now, Jesus isn't promising here that the Holy Spirit will teach you how to rebuild your engine. You need to read this in context. In John chapter 14, Jesus made this astonishing claim to his disciples. I am the way, what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when Jesus says in John chapter 16, same speech, same teaching, same session, when the helper comes, Rather, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus is not referring to the fact that the Holy Spirit will teach every Christian every bit of knowledge and truth and facts that are in the world. What he's promising in context in view of what they've already heard is the Holy Spirit will reassure you because he is the spirit of truth, he is God himself, He's going to tell you about me. He's going to affirm, glorify, explain, reassure you, apply for you the truth of who I am. Don't take this promise into something that Jesus did not intend. God knows everything. God knows how to rebuild an engine. Jesus was actually a carpenter. We're not told the quality of his work, but what sort of work do you expect the son of God, the son of an earthly carpenter, might have done in the wood shop? Pretty good stuff. You would have wanted Joseph's boy working on your project. But this is one of the cultural things that we need to look into as we read Jesus in context. I'm going to show you by the end of this sermon that when we hear that the Holy Spirit guides us, we are satisfied with much less than he actually promises us because we want guidance on things that in the light of eternity just aren't that important. The primary role of the Holy Spirit, as I'm going to read to you now, is to teach them about Jesus, remind them what Jesus said, as I told you last week, guide them in the truth of who Jesus is. Your greatest need and the greatest blessing you could ever have is to know that you have a certain relationship with Jesus, the kind of Savior who, having become a man to live and die in your sake, will see murderers coming and step forward to save you. That little scene in the garden when Jesus is arrested, that's not trivial. That's a tiny little picture of a much greater salvation that is to come. The disciples escaped with their lives that night because Jesus intended to save that night merely their bodies, but ultimately their souls by dying for their sins shortly thereafter. And here's the promise from the Holy Spirit. 
or rather regarding the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. That's interesting. What's He mean? Let's keep reading. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify who? He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is kind of complex. I wish Jesus would have spoken a simpler sentence so I could have an easier time understanding it. But let me show you what I think he means phrase by phrase. The spirit of truth is coming. He's not yet with you, Jesus is explaining, because I'm still here. But he will come. And when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Remember, I just told you, I am the truth. Not only do I speak truth, I am the truth. No one on earth can make that claim without being laughed at. I can tell you all day, I'm telling you the truth. If I ever told you, I am the truth, it's time to get rid of me. That's crazy. No one could ever say that with a straight face without a 5150 kind of situation uh, becoming part of their lives relatively soon. He will guide you into all the truth, which I am. He will not speak on his own authority. In other words, this isn't new and this isn't independent. He's not speaking on his own. Instead, Jesus says, whatever the Holy Spirit hears, he's going to speak. What is he hearing? He will declare to you the things that are to come. What is to come for the disciples? Persecution, arrest. They're going to continually be put in situations where they say, say the, word, say the name of Jesus one more time and we'll kill you. You can read that in the book of Acts. The Sanhedrin, the religious apparatus that killed Jesus, called Peter and John in, two of the men who were hearing this very promise, and commanded them not to mention the name of Jesus anymore. And the clear implication is, we killed your teacher. You're just fishermen. He was a miracle worker. He was famous across this whole country, and we got rid of him. Imagine what we will do to you. What would you have done in that situation? Well, if you had the Holy Spirit, you might have said what Peter and John did. We can't help it. You're going to have to decide whether we should obey God or obey you. We can't help but tell people what we've seen and heard. That is the spirit of truth. That is the truth that the Holy Spirit is reminding, teaching, and guiding the disciples in. Go back to the passage. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, if I can make this very simple and childlike, because that's, that's the level I have to operate on to understand the words of Jesus most of the time, God exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Son is speaking to the Spirit, and the Spirit is taking what Jesus is saying and reminding and applying and teaching and guiding his frightened disciples through it. Look at the end of this. He will glorify me, for he will take whatever is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
Did you get lost in the depth of that sentence? You did? I did several times this week. Come on in, I'll tell you what I think Jesus is saying. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect harmony and fellowship forever. When the Bible says that God is love, the first love that exists and it's an eternal love, is love within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The love you felt from God is because you have been welcomed into the love that God has always enjoyed within the harmony and the unity of his very being, which is triune. You said that didn't help. It feels like it's getting deeper. I understand. We're getting there. Thank you for the encouragement. In that fellowship, in that knowledge within God himself of who God actually is, the Father delights in the Son. Remember at the baptism of Jesus when the Father said, this is my beloved Son, I'm well pleased. He delights me. Everything the Father has belongs to who? To Jesus. And the Spirit takes from all of who God is and all that God has and tells frightened, ordinary, rabbinical school dropouts because that's almost certainly who some of the disciples had to be. They all started in religious studies. Early on, this crew, every one of them identified themselves as not the best in the class. And that's how they ended up with ordinary trades like every Jewish man and they were not allowed to teach and speak the word of God to others. So Jesus is saying to ordinary clods like you, the Father has everything and I enjoy it with him. And the Spirit will take what he hears from me, which is everything that the Father has. And on the worst days of your life, when you think you've forgotten who I am, when you think that I've abandoned you and I will not come to you, when you think that sin and evil will win, I will come to you through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will teach you, reassure you, remind you, guide you in the truth, tell you what is real, and show you what is coming. All of that is the gift of the Holy Spirit guiding you. Does that sound useful to you? That's available to you. In context, this promise was made to the apostles but this is the ministry, this is the character, this is the essence of what the Holy Spirit does for all believers. The same Holy Spirit, as I told you last week, who breathes out God's Word, the Bible, who speaks the mind of God because He is God Himself, will not only give you God's Word and leave you alone to it, he will remind you of it. He will teach you of it. He will apply it to your life if only you will hear God's word and listen to him. Now let's get really practical and I'm done. Because this promise of guidance, of being led through life by the Holy Spirit is all through the New Testament. Somebody told me last week, I didn't really understand what the Trinity was all about, but now that you've explained it, everywhere I read, I see it. Yep, been there all along. It's kind of like buying a car. As soon as you buy a car, you see it everywhere. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Psychologists have literally identified that phenomenon. I don't remember the name at the moment. But once you see something, once you experience something, you're sensitive to it and you see it everywhere. I want to open your eyes to something new. 
The life of Jesus given by the Holy Spirit, which continues with you because you are not only saved and then left on your own. You have a heavenly father. And no responsible, loving father says to the child, well, we're glad you're here. Do whatever you like. No, that father has plans and purposes for that child. He has lessons and corrections and encouragements. Listen to Paul explain it to a divisive church that was veering into disbelief, into actual heresy. They had been told about the gospel of Jesus, but false Jewish teachers had come in and basically said, Jesus is a good start, but unless you're circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you can't really belong to God. You've got to convert. You've got to adopt the law. You've got to keep kosher. You especially have to be circumcised. The law of Moses is the way of holiness and righteousness. The Galatian church, that strange name is just a province in the old Roman Empire. Churches across that region in modern-day Turkey were being torn apart by division among themselves, by betrayal of Jesus, by choosing false teachers over the truth of Jesus. And at the end of his letter where Paul angrily corrects all of this, it's the only letter in the New Testament where he doesn't say that he's thankful for the church. Every other letter he says, this is Paul, an apostle of Christ. I'm so thankful for you. Galatians, you can look at it later in the first chapter. This is Paul, an apostle of Christ. You foolish people. No gratitude, just straight to it because their life is on the line. And if it's a difference in heaven and hell, it's not the time for niceties. It's time for unvarnished, clearly heard truth. And at the end of the letter... Don't miss this. What I'm going to read to you now is one of the most famous passages in the entire New Testament, but it's not in the book of Galatians by accident or incident. The very thing that he's going to say now, which is so well known to most Christians, is the answer and the proof that they actually have Jesus and that they're walking with him. Galatians chapter 5 and I am reading now in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Christian, can you relate to that so far? besetting sin, bad habits, things you cannot shake, things that leave you ashamed, thinking to yourself in the privacy of your own heart, I thought I was over this, I thought I was better now, I thought I was different. That is the age-old struggle of someone who has the life of Christ and has received the promise and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, now striving to walk by the Spirit, as Paul says. He's going to come back to it again. Look, please. In verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see your old life in that list? Do you see that some things creep in and assert themselves in your present life from that list? What makes the difference? Walking in the Spirit. Pleasing the Spirit. Now, look at the life you've been given and the life you could actually enjoy on a Tuesday afternoon with Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Don't miss this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It was very, very vertical and very, very personal between the believers and Jesus. And then Paul said, if you don't live this way, you'll turn against each other. Now, here's what I want you to do, and I'll be through. I want you to look carefully at that list. In Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, if you don't have your Bible open yet or you're not looking on the notes, please do so now because you can't do this little step that I have for you without looking specifically at the verse. I want you to look in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, let's read it together. Just verses 22 and 23. Would you read that with me? It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One observation before we do this little exercise together. Did you notice that fruit is singular? The implication is this. This is the life that the Spirit produces. If you really have Jesus who died on the cross for you and rose from the grave so that you could have his actual life, which will you to you will be new life. You'll be born again. You'll be a new creation. The kind of life that that life produces in you is characterized by these things. People say all the time, the fruits of the Spirit. It's okay. It's not a bad thing. But notice it's singular because they're not meant, these traits, these virtues, these graces are not meant to be optional. And you don't get to choose. You don't get to say, well, self-control is not really my thing. <laughs> Loving, okay. Gentle, sometimes. Self-control, no. No, no. The life that God wants to produce and will produce in you, if you will keep in step with the Spirit, if you will walk by the Spirit, if you will bank on the fact that your old life died with Christ and you have a whole new life, the life that the Spirit produces in you will look simultaneously, not in equal degrees, not at all times, of course, we're developing, we're growing into a life that we already have, 
Like little children, we're already in the family. We belong to the family, but now we're learning to behave in the family. And all of these things will be, given enough time, increasingly true of you. So here's the exercise. I want you to put your name, and I'm going to give you a minute of silence to do it. I want you to put your name where it says in Galatians 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and the rest of it. I want you to put your name in front of each one of those traits and see how it sounds. In other words, Bruce is, I can't be love itself, but I can bring it home to me and examine myself by saying this. Bruce is loving. Bruce is joyful. Bruce is peaceful. Bruce is patient. Bruce is kind. He is good. He is faithful. He's gentle. And Bruce is self-controlled. That was just by way of illustration. Put your own name there and ask yourself sincerely before God how it sounds. How'd you come out? You see some areas in life where you're out of step with the Spirit? See, here's what I was referring to earlier when I say that we settle for two less. When many Christians hear that the Holy Spirit will guide them, we want Him to essentially be a life coach guiding us through things like which job to take, how much money to make, whether to take the promotion and how to get it. God cares about all of those things. You're his beloved child. He cares about all of you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Nothing happens to you that is outside of his love and care, but he cares infinitely more about you growing the character of Christ because the life of Christ is already in you, because the Holy Spirit is already yours. Romans 8 verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit, he does not belong to Christ. He's yours if you're a Christian. And what your Father hungers, desires, what God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what God in three persons is always working on is to produce in you the character of Jesus. Because if you have these traits, if this characterizes your life, all the stuff that you want the guidance for will be obvious to you as you walk through life. Many times the things that we care about much more, like the vocational opportunities and the promotions and the breaks and the blessings don't come because we're not ready for them. If the Father gave us those things, our character is so undeveloped that our circumstances won't matter. We'll ruin it, we'll spoil it, we'll miss it anyway. There's an old country song that says, thank God for unanswered prayer. Many times I have now come to realize at my age that things I prayed for that I was so certain would be good for me would have been a disaster because I was not anywhere near loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and self-controlled and all the rest of it. 
What am I trying to tell you? That the Spirit guides you in the journey of becoming like Jesus, living for Jesus, and telling others about Jesus. That is the life of Christ. That is why he has come. And people who belong to the Father behave like the Son through the power of the Spirit. You are extraordinarily blessed and gifted to live on this side of the cross. You have the word of Christ which can dwell in you richly. I told you last week, his written word breathed out by God that the Holy Spirit will not only give you the blessing to read, he will teach it and explain it to you. He has put you in a local church which is the body and the bride of Christ so that you will live out these virtues in the presence of others and bless others and teach others and encourage others and, oh boy, this is tough, be corrected by others so that we don't live the way the Galatians were, envying each other, provoking one another, tearing each other apart. See, here's the part that Christians have missed, I think, largely in the pandemic. Our real guidance, our real sensitivity to the Holy Spirit comes out not in the things we say about him, but in the way we treat each other. So if all this struggle, all this suffering, all this loss in the pandemic has not made you more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled, something's wrong. You're out of step with the Spirit. You're calling your own shots. That's what I mean when I talk about settling for far too less, for far too little. You get in step with the Spirit. You come to your holy, heavenly Father who loves you so dearly he gave his Son for you. You speak to the Father in the name of the Son and all of who God is is available to you because you're his child And the Father loved your eternal life more than he loved the physical life of his Son on earth. To look at the cross, Spurgeon said something like, to look at the cross of Christ, we would imagine that the Father loves us more than he loved Jesus. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the idea. You can't look at the cross of Christ and imagine that this is actually the Father's loving plan, but it is. The Father loves the Son and sends him into this world because amazingly by his grace, he not only loves the Son, he loves us. And he saw you on your way to judgment and he stepped forward. Jesus stepped forward, sent by the Father and also of his own willing obedience to the Father. He died for you. And then the Holy Spirit comes and shows you all of this and gives you new life. And then the Spirit, if I could use a simple analogy, would say, hey, you're in the family now. You're one of God's daughters. You're one of God's sons. Come with me. I'm going to teach you what your father knows. I'm going to teach you what your older brother and Savior Jesus Christ did for you. You will be tested. You will be tried. You will suffer. Don't be afraid. Jesus suffered more than you ever can imagine. Everything that you will experience, he suffered in an infinitely greater degree already, and he triumphed over all of it. Sickness and death and betrayal and actual murder. Everything, the worst that these people could ever do to you, the worst thing that could ever come out of your own heart has already been conquered by the Son who loved you. Come with me. Let me teach you to be like him. If you stay in step with Jesus, given enough time, literally given, I've seen it in weeks, And I've certainly seen it in years. I've seen some of you here, because I've been here for 16 years. I've seen some of you. Some are in eyeshot, so I won't name you and embarrass you. But you're so much more like Jesus this morning than you were four years ago when I met you. 
You were a hot mess when I met you. And I was so thankful that God sent you here because not what I can do for you and what the church can do for you, but what Jesus does for people and how Jesus uses ordinary people like you and me. Ordinary people as redeeming teaching instruments guided by the Holy Spirit himself so that we get all the blessing and God gets all the glory. It's happening. It's happening right here. This week, two people put their faith in Christ in this church. They're on their way. I told one of them, you don't even know what's waiting for you. We just met in the lobby and she told me what happened. So you can't even imagine how good this is going to be because you've been given the Spirit and the Spirit will guide you. And because you belong to the Father, you'll learn to behave like the Son because the Spirit will guide you. Let's pray. Hey, Christian, remember that list you just worked through? Did you see what's missing? Could you tell your Heavenly Father about it right now? He sees, He knows. Might as well tell Him the truth. Tell him what's missing. Ask him to help you stay in step with the Spirit. This week I spoke of two people who came to faith in Christ, one of them last Sunday in one of our services. Does that need to be you? Have you heard about the name of Jesus? Do you sort of like Jesus? But you've never turned away from your sin definitively and said to Jesus, I need you to save me? Have you been trying to save yourself? It won't work. You're not going to make it. If you could save yourself, Jesus would not have died for you. It's all in vain. It's all foolishness. It's all wasted effort for you to try to save yourself. That's why he came. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to ask you right now in his name to turn away from your sin and believe the good news that he loved you and died for you and can give you eternal life. You can't hold on to your old life. You have to throw yourselves in the arms of the rescuer. Turn to him and ask him to save you. Give up on yourself. Ask him to save you, and he will. Christian or new Christian turning to Christ right now. Let's pray and let's thank him. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the Son. And Father and Son, thank you for sending the Spirit. We are so loved. This world is dangerous, but we are actually so safe in your care. Nothing can touch us unless it comes through you first. So help us with that confidence and with that love. Stay in step with you, Holy Spirit. Let us walk out the life of Christ with its love, with its joy, with its peace, with all of those traits so absent in the world, so absent in the news, so absent in our streets. Let us be little sources, pictures, realities of the life of God in ordinary human beings. We want you to get all the glory, but Lord, we hunger for your blessing and for transformation so that we will actually behave like the people you've already made us. I pray this in Jesus' name and cross point said, amen. amen. Folks, if you're new, 
I hope you'll stop by one of the tables in the back. We have a little coffee tumbler we'd love to give you with our church logo inside is a little gift card so that you can put some coffee in it because what good is a coffee tumbler without coffee? If you're new, thank you for coming. If you've trusted Jesus this morning, if you have questions about what I've said, and likely you do, frankly I do, I want to learn more about what I just taught you, there's a card in each bulletin. Fill that out if you're new. Fill that out if you have a question, if you have a prayer request. If you've come to faith in Jesus this morning or you think you're on your way, let us know by filling out that card and leave it with one of the ushers on your way out. I'm going to race off this platform because it's undignified to jump off of here. And one of these days, if I keep doing it, I'm going to blow out a knee. And I'm going to try to get to the back door. I'd love to meet you if you're new. If you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. If you need prayer, there's people right over here waiting for you by the cross. God bless you. See you soon. Love you.